Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the breath in our lungs today. We thank you that every breath represents hope. Every breath represents your power. Every breath is evidence that your spirit is at work in our life. We thank you and we give you praise. God, you are, you are working. Whether we can see it or feel it, you are working. You're still at work in our life. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, he's still working. He's still working on me, and he's still working on you. Praise God. You can be seated. Thank you so much, worship team, for that time leading us into God's presence. Man, God is so good. Thank you, guys. Let's, let's give it up for my Vanna White and Vance White. Awesome. Man, God, you are good. You are good. I'm excited, so excited to share with you the uh, fourth part of our series entitled Step Into the Ring. Just to recap, we opened this uh, series up with a message entitled Engage. Engage, because if we're not engaged in prayer, then we're not engaged in the real war. Amen? And so just like a fighter doesn't just watch fights, talk about fights, or study fights, a fighter's not a fighter unless he gets in the ring. Amen? And so it doesn't matter how active you might be in ministry. You might serve on the kids' team. You might serve in youth. You might serve on the worship team. You might do all those things together. But no matter how active you are in ministry and religion, if you're not praying, you're not really engaged in the fight. You're living a spiritually passive life. You haven't stepped into the ring. And in part two, we talked about sparring, that for a fighter, it doesn't, it's not just about stepping into the ring every few months whenever he has a match. If that's the first time he stepped in the ring during that time, he's going to get completely demolished. But... He needs to spar on a regular basis. And in that sparring session, in that time with his trainer, he develops an intimate relationship with his trainer and he develops strategies for how he's going to win the battle that is ahead of him. And prayer, church, I have to say this again and again and again, it cannot just be a department in our, in our church. It cannot just be a, a time period designated on a Sunday morning, but prayer needs to be a part of our culture. Prayer has to be so much more than, a, than, than sporadic pleas for help in times of crisis, but it has to become what we talked about as a focused Frequent focused fellowship with the Father. And then in week three, last week, we talked about the road work that a fighter does. They call it road work because a lot of his training is actually done on the streets, like we see in Rocky when he's sprinting up the stairs and he's jumping up and down when he makes it, right? What he's doing is he's training his body outside of the ring to mimic the type of energy he's going to exert inside the ring as well. And so a fighter doesn't only train inside the ring, but trains outside of the ring in ways that will prepare him for, to go the distance and create endurance 
in the fighter. Road work is to the fighter what fasting is to the Christian. As we combine prayer and fasting, those two disciplines prepare us for every spiritual battle that lies ahead. And so this morning, as we wrap up this season of prayer and fasting, I want to encourage you to go the distance, to go the distance. Uh, I remember wrestling in high school, and one of my biggest problems in wrestling is when I signed up for wrestling, I didn't realize how, vis- how physically exerting and exhausting it actually was. And, you know, it looks glamorous when you watch other people doing it. But when you wrestle against someone and both opponents are very competitive, it takes every piece of energy that you have in many, many matches. And so as a young wrestler, my freshman year, I was naturally strong. And I found myself to be stronger than almost every opponent that I went up against. But the problem was I didn't quite have Rocky's eye of the tiger. And so when I would become physically exhausted, typically I would dominate the match in the first period, maybe the first period and a half, and then I would become exhausted. And if in that exhaustion I hadn't finished the match yet and I was brought down and I was put on my back, I would often give up. Because what would happen is I'd find myself in a compromised position, you know, they get one arm up in a headlock and I'm like, oh my goodness. And what happened is I would become another victim to the same thought that has crippled countless of us. The thought of this, what's the point? I'm just going to get taken down again anyway. I've got nothing left. When deep down, I think I knew there was still a little bit left. But what I had is I played it out in my head, but here's what's going to happen. If I wiggle out of this, the next time I'm going to get pinned. And I remember there had to be a a complete mindset change for me to become competitive in wrestling. And it happened on one particular night when I was called up to the next level and I was asked to wrestle um, a wrestler that was more experienced, a year older than me. And we stepped out onto the mat together and immediately I sized him up thinking he looks really strong. And sure enough, the referee blows the whistle and within less than 30 seconds, he throws his arm around my head, grabs me in a headlock and flings me to the ground, slamming me on the ground. And he's got me almost pinned. My initial thought right away was, oh my goodness, I don't stand a chance. I was so taken off guard by his aggressiveness and his strength. I thought to myself, this is one of the few guys I've faced that I think might be stronger than me. And as I'm wiggling around in there, it looks like I'm fighting. But inside my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I probably should just lay down. This match is over. But then I heard a voice. And it was my coach from the side of the mat. And he just began to call out to me very aggressively and very angrily. What are you doing, Skeets? Come on, fight, fight, turn, wiggle out of there, go. I don't remember what he was shouting exactly, but he was, he was getting on my case. And suddenly it ignited a fire within me. And, and something inside me says, no, I don't want to go down like this. And so I was able to wiggle out of this guy's grip And the match ensued for one period, for two periods, and I'm getting destroyed by points. I mean, he's up like 12 to 4, 
uh, somewhere in the, in, the, in the second period. And so finally, we go to the third period. I'm exhausted, but I'm fighting. And I'm like, I made a decision in my mind. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down giving it everything I've got. And it helped because my coach was cheering me on. I hadn't had that before. Because wrestling at the freshman level, coaches don't take it as seriously. <laughs> at least mine didn't. And so I got very little instruction from them. But this was the varsity coach. I'd never been coached by the varsity coach before. And he is egging me on and he's showing me that there was more within than I thought that I had in the first place. So finally, we get to a point where um, he takes me down again. And I fight out of it and I reverse it and I get on top of him. And suddenly, I realize in that moment, guess what? He's tired too. And as soon as I realized that my opponent was tired as well, I became determined to pin this guy. And so I had him in what's called a reverse Nelson, and my coach is yelling at me, reverse it, do the regular Nelson. I don't know exactly how he said it, but he wanted me to take my arm from under his head, put it back over around like this. And so as soon as I listened to my coach, I leaned forward with one last push with all I had, and all of a sudden I hear the whistle and the referee slaps the ground. I pin this guy, coming back from down by like 10 points. And I remember being so exhausted that when I stood up, I wanted to give a fist pump in victory, but because my arm was so tired, it looked like this. <laughs> and that was proof that I left it all on the mat. And I believe this is a change in mindset that needs to happen in our church this morning, guys, when it comes to prayer. See, there are some here today that I believe you came in here and you're feeling like you are down for the count. And you could get up. You know you've got strength to get up, but you've told yourself, what's the use? I'm just going to get knocked down again. And you've been disappointed again and again when you've prayed prayers and it seems like God hasn't moved. You've prayed prayers and you seem like you're still waiting for the answer. And maybe for some of you, it's been a month and you gave up. Maybe some of you, you are a lot more resilient and it's been a few years. Maybe for others, it's been three decades and you haven't prayed on this for the last 15 years. And God wants to say that it is not over. And I want to challenge you at your tables today to share, is there something in your life that you've given up on and stopped praying about? Is there something in your life that you've given up on and stopped praying about? Or could it be that you're in a place right now where you're not even really praying? You haven't just given up on that one thing, but maybe you've started to doubt that prayer actually makes a difference. And so outside of blessing your meal or a quick prayer before bedtime, you've really neglected prayer in your life. I want you to take some time to share that at your tables. And then I've got a very encouraging word for you, straight from the mouth of Jesus. Amen? All right, let's discuss it at our tables. Amen. Well, good discussion happening at my table. I trust yours as well. Oh, man, this can be a very heavy topic for a lot of people. But I'm here to tell you that there are victories that God has for us that we will not experience unless we are willing to go the distance. 
And that's what I want to challenge you with this morning, to go the distance. We're going to look at a great example of this in God's Word. And so I want to ask if you guys would stand with me with your Bibles. Before we open the Word, we're going to make the statement of faith this morning. And it's on the screen, and you can read it along with me. Ready? One, two, three. This is my Bible. It is God's Word. If I read it and live it, I will become everything it says that I am. All right, remain standing now. We're going to read Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. That's Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I probably should have given you guys a heads up earlier so you could already be turned there. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And what I love about this is how it opens up. It's very clear what we're supposed to get out of this message. How many of you appreciate clarity? Very first verse here says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, Always pray and never give up. All right, verse 2. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Nice guy. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman, somebody say, but this woman. Um, is driving me crazy. <laughs> I was just trying to give some of you husbands an excuse to say that without getting elbowed. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Father, illuminate your scriptures to us today. Holy Spirit, speak directly to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. He starts off, like I said, presenting the, the reason for this story. The, the scriptures say that he shared a story with uh, his followers to show that they should always pray. Somebody say always. And never, say never, give up. Always and never. Absolutes. And we apply these absolutes to the idea of prayer and faith. I want this morning to teach you uh, how you can go the distance through prayer. Number one, keep believing. Somebody wants to bust out and don't stop believing, right? That's the only part of that song I know. So I annoy my kids with it sometimes because I'll bust out with that. And I just keep singing, don't stop believing, don't stop believing. Do you see how they get annoyed? But keep, keep believing. See, he says that they should always pray and not give up. Other translations say not lose heart. Have you ever lost heart before? 
I think what that means is it means you've kind of lost hope. You no longer have expectation. It means you've become extremely discouraged. But here's what's interesting about prayer. See, belief keeps you praying, but praying keeps you believing. Do you see how the two go hand in hand? See, I can become discouraged, and as a result of that, I'm going to be tempted to not pray. And yet, in, when I pray, it can be the place that God comes and encourages me to continue in faith and in prayer. And so Jesus is about to set up a very hopeless scenario to show us that there's no such thing as a hopeless scenario. Amen? See, we miss out on two things when we stop praying. Number one, we miss out on what God can do for us. And number two, we miss out on what God can do in us. You see, when we're praying, it's not just black or white. It's not just, um, did I get an answer or not? It's not just uh, God wanting to give me what it is that I'm asking for, but it's also God wanting to accomplish something within me through that focused and frequent fellowship with the Father. Amen? And so I can actually be praying for something specific. And whether God gives me that thing or not, something was accomplished in that prayer within me. And so God is, Jesus is saying by sharing this story that our path in life should be marked by our persistence in prayer and our refusal to give up, right? Because he's talking to his followers. And so if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, he's saying people should be able to recognize you because of your persistence in prayer and because you refuse to give up hope. What, how odd would it be for Christians to walk around with their heads hung low all the time and they have no hope and they're always discouraged. And yet we, we want to share with people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are going to be like, I don't want any of that. It hasn't worked for you. And so we set an example as we travel the path of disappointment and yet we refuse to give up and stop praying. It's been said that early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in private devotions, something that they were known for to the point that each one of them reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket where they would just go and pour their heart out, their heart out before God. It's easy for me to say. And so over time, paths would be formed to their secret place just from walking over uh, the vegetation. And so eventually this path would be formed. And as a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it was soon apparent to the others because grass would begin to grow on their path. And so they would kindly lebron, le, remind, uh, uh, pray for me. I got tongue twisted and I almost said LeBron. That, I know the devil's in this place right now. Sorry, I'm a hater. <laughs> but they would, they would kindly remind the neglected one, brother, the grass grows on your path. The grass grows on your path. Church, don't let grass grow on your prayer path. Instead, take courage today in the fact that Jesus said himself that your persistence matters. Your persistence makes a difference even when it doesn't seem like it's making a difference. And so he uses the example of an unjust judge and a widow. So I want us to consider the circumstances of the widow. 
So first of all, there's plenty in scripture written about widows, right? Like James says that pure religion is taking care of widows and orphans. Why? Because in that time, in that culture, there, there wasn't social security, right? There weren't all these like governmental helps and things like that. It was up to the responsibility of family members and relatives that when a woman was widowed, that they would come alongside her to take care of her. And so if there was no one else, guess who's supposed to take, step up and take care of them? God's people, right? And so she found herself obviously in a very helpless situation. And she says in verse three, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. So on top of being helpless, she had an enemy, someone who was taking advantage of her weakness. How many of you um, would, uh, are with me and you'd raise your hand and say like, those are the type of people I really struggle to have mercy for, right? Like those are the people where like, if I'm honest, sometimes when I'm in the flesh, I'm like, I hope they go to jail and they get beat up, right? Um, they're terrible people. Like we don't like it when people prey upon helpless individuals. And so this woman was completely helpless and someone was to take advantage of her, and she had no means to solve her problem on her own. Like, she, she didn't have any advocates, right? Or she would have involved them in the situation. It wasn't that she had relatives to take care of her, that could, or she had this posse that would back her up, like, oh, you mess with me, you mess with them, right? If that was the case, she wouldn't be going before this unjust judge. She was powerless to obtain justice for herself. She was completely at the mercy of this unjust judge. Now, I point this out because you and I are the widow in this story, and I think this is what Jesus was intending to communicate here, is that we too have an enemy, and we are powerless on our own to do anything about it whatsoever. Like, it doesn't matter how strong you are, it doesn't matter how gifted and how talented you are, if you're under spiritual attack, you're completely helpless outside of God. And as hopeless as your situation may seem, though, Jesus says, don't lose heart, don't give up, go the distance. Now let's consider the character of the judge. We talked about the circumstance of the widow. Let's consider the character of the judge. In verse two, it says, a judge who neither feared God nor cared about people. In other words, this is not uh, the job description or the ad that you would place in a wanted file for a judge, right? This is the exact opposite of what a judge is supposed to be. A judge is supposed to stand for justice. A judge is supposed to uh, work for the people. And a judge is supposed to determine what is in right standing with God. And so he did not fear God or care about people, which means that he's accountable to no one. Wow. What do they say about power? Absolute power corrupts absolutely this man was corrupt. He was accountable to no one. He didn't have the fear of God to keep him in check. He wasn't worried about his judgment day coming soon. I would say that this judge sounds like he was probably an atheist. And he was self-serving. He had all the authority, but he would only use his authority for his own gain. So this isn't the type of person you go to for help unless you are completely out of options. Anybody in here ever been out of options? Like you tried everything but prayer, and then you went to prayer. Because you're like, oh man, and you might have been convicted, like I probably should have came here first. There's a lot of grass on my path. But you've been without options, and so you came to prayer. This was the situation that she was in. And yet, knowing this about this judge, the widow continues to bring her request to him. 
Number two, I want to challenge you to be persistent this morning. Be persistent. In verse three, it says, a widow came to him repeatedly. Somebody say repeatedly. We were singing, it's your breath in our lungs. And I believe that this woman had come to a decision within to say, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to use it to plead my case. She must have considered the alternative. I can choose to live out the rest of my life in torment. I can lay down and take it and suffer abuse that way. Or I can keep swinging to the very end. And I may still suffer, but at least I'm being proactive. She was going to take hits either way. Amen? This was not a good situation. She's got an unjust judge as an opponent over here. And she's got someone who's abusing her and taking her advantage, advantage of her over here. There's no middle ground. If she remains neutral, like we talked about week one, when we challenged ourselves to engage, if you don't engage in the war, one day it's going to find its way in your front yard, on your front doorstep. And so she decided, heck, if I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer for believing and trusting that I can still receive justice in my situation. This is a characteristic that is missing from a lot of modern day Christians. And it's why we don't receive breakthrough a lot of times in prayer. Let me ask you, church, are you tired of life just happening to you? Feeling like life just keeps happening, something just keeps happening. Your, your phone rings and you're like, what happened now? Like, it's just more bad news. I remember, uh, I think it was my junior year, our uh, JV quarterback was really struggling because he would drop back to pass, and as soon as he felt pressure coming, he would either tuck it and duck, or he'd short arm it, and it would be this really horrible pass. Why? Because he was afraid of getting hit. And I remember our varsity quarterback pulled him aside, and I was in the huddle, so I heard this whole thing. This is during practice, and he goes, listen, Actually, it was during a game, so it was on the sideline. That's right. So he pulls him aside and he says, listen, you're going to get hit no matter what. Like, when you tucked the ball, did you still get hit? Yeah. Okay. When you short-armed it, did you still get hit? Yeah. He's like, then just stand in there and make the throw because then you'll get hit, but you'll complete the pass. And I thought, what wise words for us today we're going to get hit, so we might as well choose our pain. Like, how, how do you want it to happen? Like, do I want my pain to come from uh, my exercising in the gym, right, that's going to prepare me for combat? Or do I want my pain to come from being a victim too weak to defend myself when the moment comes? If you're going to experience breakthrough, you've got to embrace the pain of going the distance. Guillermo Maldonado put it this way in the devotional that we started with a few weeks back. He says, we must develop a faith characterized by holy stubbornness. How many of you are sitting next to somebody stubborn right now? <laughs> so what if we applied that stubbornness to our faith? Have you ever noticed that we can be relentless in trying to solve our own problems? 
We can expend so much energy trying to find situations. We can become manipulative. We can try to use other people. We can lie. We put all this energy in trying to solve problems in our own strength. What if we apply that energy to prayer? So it says in verse 4 that the judge ignored her at first. But finally, somebody say, but finally. finally. See, he ignored her. And this is the moment where if you were like me as a high schooler, you feel completely taken down and helpless and you say, what's the point? I mean, can you imagine being this desperate widow, completely helpless? There's only one person you can help you. And the first time you go to talk to him, he's like, I don't care. Leave me alone. Most of us cannot recover from that type of blow. Like, I'm already down to my last option, and this man says, I'm not going to help you. I don't care what happens to you. And he ignored her for a while, but it says, but finally, but finally. That word finally just means this in English. This isn't the original Greek, right? After a long time, typically involving difficulty or delay. After a long time, typically involving difficulty or delay. See, some answers to prayer come finally. What are the but finalies in your life that you've experienced, I wonder? What have you travailed in prayer for for a very, very long time? And it was maybe years or decades later that you finally saw your breakthrough. See, in this uh, uh, devotional that we're in, uh, there was uh, a talk about another word, and it was yet. We talked about how when you apply the word yet to the end of uh, your situation, what you're doing is you're instilling hope into that situation. Like, my children have not experienced a breakthrough yet. My spouse uh, has not returned to me yet. My church has not experienced revival yet, that we bring our yets to God and we come with that expectation. And I believe that it is through persistent prayer that God wants to turn your yets into but finalies. They may take a long time, but they will come just in time. So the judge out loud, listen to this says, I don't fear God or care about people, but I want you just to think about that for a moment. At least he's self-aware. I mean, can you imagine being so cold-hearted that you're willing to admit to yourself, like, I don't give a you-know-what about anybody or God, but this guy is calloused that he openly admits that he has a cold heart and he's not even ashamed. But yet this woman moves him to action. How? How does this helpless, weak widow move this man to action? Well, he tells us in verse five. He says, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. I love this so much. See, she got her justice. Why? Because she was consistent and persistent. She was wearing him out. Now, that term, this is really cool. This is one of those goosebump moments for me as a nerd studying for this passage. 
wearing him out. This is from a Greek word. It's the same Greek word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9.27 when he says, I discipline. That's the word there. So wear me out and discipline, same word. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And so he uses it to describe a process in which he beats his body into submission to make it obedient to the Holy Spirit. And this is the word that that Luke applies here in Jesus' story to the unjust judge applying it to the widow, rather. And so this word discipline here, or wear me out, actually translates to strike under the eye. And so here we are in this boxing theme, and this word means to strike under the eye. It can actually mean to deliver a blow that gives someone a black eye. Now, here's something really cool. Did you know that archaeologists actually believe that they have recovered an image of this poor widow? And I think we have a picture of that today. Do we have a picture of that, guys? An image of this poor widow? There she is. You don't want to mess with this poor widow. But if you think about it, as funny as that is, that's kind of how she's being described by this judge. I mean, he, he's at his wit's end. He's whining and complaining that he's got an adversary now. And she's grandma champion fighter with these boxing gloves on. And so her efforts at the beginning seemed to be useless, but her constant requests were like jabs, striking him repeatedly and wearing him down over and over and over and over again until when they get to the final round, he's ready to just be like, look, I give, you win. Church, do you feel weak or helpless this morning? Are your prayers lacking faith? You can begin to reverse that process with one simple discipline. Be persistent. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. The Roman poet Ovid or Ovid, I'm not sure how you say his name, said, dripping water hollows out stone, not through force, but through persistence. Have you ever seen that, an example of that, about how just a constant dripping just starts to form a groove and rock? What's wild about that is that, like, that is more effective in changing the structure of the rock than if you were to have, like, 50 gallons of water dumped on the rock all at once. It wouldn't have changed it whatsoever. But that constant dripping over time develops a pathway through that rock. In verse 6, I think it's interesting that Jesus says, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Because I expected him to say, learn a lesson from this widow. That's totally what I expected. Learn a lesson from this widow. Like, she's the hero of the story, right? But he says, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Because what he wants us to understand more than anything else is that not only is it about our persistence, but it's about the character of our God. See, we might represent the widow in this story, but the unjust judge represents the opposite of our God. And the stark contrast between this judge's character and the character of God is designed to grab a hold of our attention and be like, listen, she got her justice. From the scum of the earth. 
And I am your God that loves you. Jesus was painting the most hopeless situation, like I said, so that he could show you that there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. That as believers in Jesus Christ, it's never appropriate for us to be without hope. It's never appropriate for us to hang our head. Now, you don't have to feel condemned if that's where you are, but you need to be reminded to look up because he still hears you and your persistence is making a difference. In verse seven, it says, even he, talking about the unjust judge, rendered a just decision. So the last person you would think would cave, caved. He says, don't you think God will give you justice? See, this story here, I think, is a step up. That Jesus was taking it the next level from another story, another parable he told about, um, he says, which of you, if your child asks you for a, a piece of fish, will you give him a snake? Or if he asks for you a piece of bread, will you give him a stone? He says, okay, will you, being wicked, know how to give good gifts to your kids? How much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his children? Will give them the Holy Spirit. And so he goes from parents all the way to this unjust judge. The perspective of a parent to the hardest of hearts. He goes that far to make this powerful point that if persistence with this evil judge would bring justice, imagine what persistence in prayer to a God that loves you will do. If we want to experience breakthrough, church, we must not only believe and be persistent, but also we must have passion. And that's number three, to pray passionately or to pray with passion. It says in verse seven that he's going to give justice to those who cry out to him day and night. That word cry means to exclaim, to make an urgent distress call to summon intensely because sorely needing a response. It's also defined this way, shouting with intense feeling. Um, it's said to be a very emotional term, manifesting deep feeling. I wanna tell you this morning that when it comes to your prayers, emotion matters. Emotion matters. It's not because we have to manufacture emotion to get God's attention. But emotion matters because you are an emotional being. Every last one of you, even those of you that you don't show a lot of emotion, you feel. All of us feel. And so this is more about showing what you feel. Does that make sense? Emotion matters. Let me put it this way. Prayers that move you, move God. Prayers that move you, move God. See, uh, we were reading about a lost child in our, in our uh, 21-day reading plan uh, just a few days ago this week. And this man tells a story about how, I think he was at Disneyland, and he sees this lost child, and uh, she's terrified, and she's crying, and she's inconsolable. Not his child, but when he saw her tears, he was moved to compassion. And so he went, and he stood next to her, and he waited with her. Until finally, mom emerges from the crowd, the two embrace, hysterical, but now comforted and relieved that they found one another. He talked about how it was the emotion of that child that caused him to have compassion and want to step in and do something about it. And that wasn't even his child. 
This is how God is moved when we cry out to him. He isn't asking us to manufacture emotion, but he's asking for transparency. He wants, uh, he wants to have our heart. And sometimes I think we don't pray with emotion, church, because we don't have expectation. And sometimes tapping into that emotion can uh, stir up anticipation and faith in us again. See, I pray a different way when I have expectation. I come with enthusiasm. I come with, with passion because I believe every word that's being sent out into the universe is accomplishing something. But when I'm discouraged and when I don't have any expectation, I tend to be more reserved and throw out weak prayers. But Jesus is telling us that regardless of how much disappointment we've experienced, we can come to him with confidence. We can come to him with passion because our persistence matters. See, the lost child has no thought of curbing their emotions. That, that girl was not like, I'm in public, so I'm not going to cry. She was desperate, and she needed someone to intervene, and she let the tears flow. Some of you need to let tears flow and realize that they're a gift from God. I heard a preacher say that tears are liquid prayers. I think sometimes there's some things that we hold in uh, within us, whether it be faith, whether it be emotions, questions, doubts. Sometimes they come out as tears, and that's the only way they come out. You let the tears come out, and those things come out with them. When we hold back our emotions, it reveals oftentimes a lack of faith. Perhaps we're holding back our emotions because we don't want to get our hopes up. Anybody ever do that? I don't want to get my hopes. It hurts too much to hope. It hurts too much to hope. So I'm just going to, maybe I'm going to change the way I pray my prayer. Maybe I'm going to lower my expectation because if God doesn't come through this time, I'm not sure I can handle it. But Jesus says that he will grant justice to them. Quickly, quickly. A little hard to make sense of that, isn't it? The whole purpose of this story is to keep praying even when the answer doesn't come quickly. <laughs> Yet he says the answer will come quickly. I wrestled with that a little bit, that. Because sometimes I think we stop praying because it's taken too long. We don't realize that while we wait, God's at work. There was, there was a, a reading we did um, that talked about the momentum that prayer creates. And that every time we pray, it's like laying a brick. So we pray to God and we say, God, I need a breakthrough in this area of my life, whatever it is, my kids, my spouse, my job. And we don't see it but a brick has been laid. And you guys have an obstructed view. So as far as you know, nothing's been laid. Yes, I know you saw me take it out of the box, but pretend you didn't see that. And so we pray. Let's say I'm asking God for a house. My God, I need a house. I need a place to live. A brick's been laid, but we don't see it. 
And so we keep asking God, God, how come you haven't given me this house? Like, why are my prayers falling on deaf ears? And then you keep praying and you keep praying. Another brick is laid. And meanwhile, we have all this uh, progress that is being made, but we're completely unaware of it. And we like to say, God, would you just like show us what you're doing? Because if I could just see progress, then I would keep praying. We pray and pray and pray and pray. But what happens is we quit. And when we quit, the work stops as well. See, we don't understand that when we pray, God's doing something every single time. That every time we pray, a work is in progress. Now, sometimes God is just moving and shifting things in the spiritual realm so that it can be manifested in the physical. Other times, he's building something else. He might be building something you're not asking for. Maybe he's building something within you. Maybe you're praying for a promotion, but he's building a humble servant. Maybe you're praying for your spouse to change, but he wants to change you. You've got some selfishness that you need to work through. And all the while, he's behind the scenes doing these, these works beneath the surface. But what happens is oftentimes we climb up off the operating table too early. And we're not done. He's in the middle of the work, and yet we disconnect. And so the work discontinues. And God says, look, your job is to keep on the table. Your job is to keep praying and I'll take care of the rest. And here's what happens. It may have taken forever to get the answer, but when the answer comes, it comes quickly. I know this is a beautiful work of art. Don't be distracted by it. See, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And God's work goes far beyond what we're asking him for. But we are called to be participants in all of it. And you need to understand that every time you pray, something is happening. This often makes me think of one of my favorite Bible stories, and that is Joshua and the wall of Jericho, right? Raise your hand if you're familiar with that story. One thing that stood out to me a, a few years back for the very first time, was really emphasized to me, was the fact that this was the situation where God's people were obedient to him and they saw no results day after day. How discouraging and silly they must have felt after the first time around that wall and nothing happened. See, this did not happen gradually in the physical. It wasn't like every time they made it around the wall, a crack appeared. Then they went around for a third time and then another crack appeared over here. Then maybe one brick fell off. They're like, oh, it's working. Let's keep marching. Let's keep going. As far as they could see with their own eyes, no progress was being made. And you can bet that they were being mocked and laughed at as they were just... Um, mindlessly, seemingly mindlessly, walking around their city, doing nothing. 
Do you think they felt threatened in that time? And how silly they must have felt. How tempting it must have been just to be like, okay, this is stupid. I'm not marching today. Like, I did this before, and guess what? God didn't show up. Nothing happened. The wall's still there. We are now no closer to overtaking the city than we were yesterday. But they kept marching. And on the seventh day, they stepped it up. And they marched around seven times. And on the seventh time around, on the seventh day, as they cried out and shouted and blew their horns, it took seven days for the answer to arrive. But when it happened, the wall fell down very quickly. Someone in here needs to be reminded that your prayers are in the midst of being answered. And just because you don't see this, you don't see the progress as it happens, doesn't mean progress isn't being made. And so Jesus closes this story by saying, the Son of Man is going to return. If there's anything that seems like it's taken too long, it's that. Where are you? Jesus, you said you were returning soon. We were laughing about how, like in the Chosen series, um, every time Jesus says soon or somebody says soon, they say, there's that word again. Meaning, I don't think soon means to Jesus what we think it means. Soon to a timeless being is completely different to those of us that had a clear beginning and end. But he says, when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? How many will he find still standing when the final bell rings at the end of the match? Church Jesus is raising up a church that will go the distance. And this is the ultimate key. We will all experience failure and disappointment. But all we need to do is endure. And the victory is ours. Do you hear that? The victory is already promised. And so our only job is to not tap out. Would you stand with me this morning? Your job is to stay standing because Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the one that's going to deliver the knockout blow. Amen? We only need to go the distance. We're going to transition now in our response time to a time of communion. Um, if you're someone who is a follower of Jesus, then we invite you to partake in this with us this morning. But what we're about to partake in represents the ultimate act of love and endurance. And we're going to tie that into what we want God to do in us today. So as the team leads us, I just want to invite you to um, get out of your tables and uh, go get the elements. There's four tables, two on the sides in the back, two on the sides in the front. You're going to find two cups stacked on top of each other. You want both of those, the crackers in the bottom cup. Return back to your tables. We're going to partake in this together today as the team leads us. Great is thy faithfulness, oh.
Father, we thank you, God, for what you did for us on the cross. And we take time to consider that today as we consider the things that weigh heavy on our hearts today. One of the things that stands out to me when I consider the cross is not just the time leading up to it, right? A lot of times as we enter Palm Sunday and Good Friday, we'll focus on his his time in the garden and his prayer asking for his cup be taken from him. But I'm also just blown away at the thought that when the pain became real, when it was not just emotional pain and distress, but now it's physical pain combined with it, knowing that he had all the power in the world to come down off that cross before it was finished. how different everything would be for us today. We'd still be dead in our sins. But he was able to say that statement, it is finished, because he carried it through to the very end, even when it became unbearable, both emotionally and physically. And it is because he endured on the cross that we can have hope to endure in whatever situation that we face. And so as we partake of these elements together, I want you to consider what it is, what are the things that you've just maybe set aside and you no longer hope and pray for those things because you've been disappointed. Maybe some of you, your entire prayer life is sick and it's almost non-existent because of the dis disappointments that you've experienced and you didn't realize that you got up off the operating table in the, in the process. And God may not have given you exactly what you're asking for, but he was at work. But the work has ceased because you've taken yourself out of his hands. Because everything that he wants to do in you, guess what? It happens right here in the secret place. It happens in, the, in that fellowship with the Father in prayer. That's where he does his work. And for many of you, he's, this is a call to return to that place so that he can complete the work that he began in you. And so, Father, right now, we hold the bread in our hands. And God, we thank you so much that it represents your body that you said was beaten and broken for us. 
that it was the joy set before you, it says in Hebrews, that enabled you to endure the cross. And we were a part of that joy. God, you did this to reconcile us to you again. So Father, we thank you that you took our punishment, the punishment that we deserved, so that we could be made right with you. God, that your body was broken so our bodies could be made whole. And we thank you and we give you praise and we take this bread together remembering what you did so that we'll be encouraged to continue to endure. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cracker together. And now we take the cup and Father, we bless this cup and we thank you so much for what it represents. Your blood that was shed for us, Lord God. You not only suffered, but you died. You spared all expense. You poured it all out for us, Father God, so that we could live. And Father, now you have given us salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. And we thank you. And right now, Father, we just lift up our burdens to you. We lift up those things that we've lost hope for and we return to prayer. We return to persistence, believing that you are not like the unjust judge, but you are like our heavenly father. And God, when we cry out to you, the prayers that move us, move your heart. You are active and at work in all of our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister encouragement to those that are disappointed and that you would give us the strength to finish strong, to finish the race that we've started for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take of the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead, team. Let's finish that song. Yeah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that everyone would leave today with their hearts encouraged, with faith stirred up within them. And God, that we would just become persistent, Lord. Make your church, give your church a stubborn faith, Lord. God, that we would intercede and we would pray and we would battle in prayer to the very, very end, Lord God, believing that every word that goes forth is accomplishing something. And may we leave, God, with faith and with enthusiasm for the secret place and for our prayer time with you, Father God. And I know, God, that you have begun a work in this church and we are going to begin to see breakthroughs on a greater level because your people have humbled themselves, fasted and prayed, and we're believing that you're going to come and heal our land. Father, we thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So before you leave, I just want to let you know that on your way out, our greeters are going to be giving you some more of those invite cards for this weekend. And so please make use of those. Invite your neighbors, coworkers, and friends. You never know. This could be the moment that they encounter the love of Jesus and it changes their life forever. So invite people. Um, come on out yourself. God bless you. Have an amazing week. See you later.